protecting the right to an abortion, protecting transgender kids, protecting Social Security. If they're if they take an advanced position on these and don't go into the usual Democratic you know, defensive crouch, he can be beaten. And we know that Trump can be beaten. So it's not he's not invincible by any matter. Like Hillary Clinton beat him in the popular vote. You know, Joe Biden beat him in the popular vote electoral college. He lost the midterms. He's got the stink of loser on him. But just don't think that he can't win again. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Aaron Rupar Show. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Oliver Willis. Um, if you're following me on social media, you're probably also following Oliver. He's one of the most legendary progressive bloggers. He has been at this for over 20 years now, I think, You know, dating back to the early days of the George W. Bush administration. So he has a lot of context, a lot of experience covering media, blogging about progressive politics, watching Fox News. And I think uh, as you watch and listen to our conversation, uh, that will come through um, how he is an authority on this modern era of American politics. Uh, Oliver and I go deep on Biden's messaging and how we can approve it heading into the 2024 election cycle. Uh, We talk quite a bit about news that broke this week about CNN having a town hall event with Trump next week. Uh, CNN has been under heavy criticism for this. We talk about that. And Oliver explains why he thinks CNN's decision to have this event is actually a sign of the network's desperation for ratings and why he thinks this will end up backfiring on CNN. And we also talk about the focus of his newest newsletter. He has a substack called Oliver Willis Explains that I highly recommend you subscribe to if you haven't already. Uh, His latest newsletter gets into this very bizarre story about Trump having a physical altercation on a plane with the reporter who was covering him and this story not emerging for 37 days until it was included this week in a Vanity Fair report, uh, despite the fact that numerous reporters were on this plane and witnessed this. And Oliver details to me why he thinks this is a reflection of the toxic and symbiotic relationship that Trump has with mainstream reporters. Next week's episode of the show will feature Brian Kloss. Brian is a political scientist based out of the UK, but he's an American. He's actually from Minnesota, like I am, and he is an expert on authoritarianism. And so we'll talk about uh, the authoritarian threat to American democracy, Uh, heading into the midterms next week. I think that'll be a good conversation. So tune in for that. That episode, like all episodes of the podcast these days, will drop next Thursday morning. Um, If you're not already subscribed to the show, please do so wherever you get your podcasts. That really helps me. And if you're watching the footage or if you do want to watch the footage, uh, be sure to check out my YouTube page and please subscribe and like this episode as well because it helps spread the word about the show. Uh, Without further ado, let's get to my interview with Oliver. Welcome, everyone, to the Aaron Rupar Show. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Oliver Willis. Uh, Oliver is one of the most legendary progressive bloggers out there, I would say. He's been at this for over 20 years now and was actually, I think, one of the very first people that I followed on Twitter. Um, I remember... I'm sorry. I, I can't, well, <laughs> I started on Twitter, I think it was April of 2011. And, um, you know, there's been a few occasions where I've had to kind of scroll back in my follower list. Um, over the years, and you're always like one of the very first people because they rank them basically in reverse chronological. So the people that you follow first are like the last ones at the bottom of your list. And so, yeah, I can't remember if you were at that time um, retweeted into my feed or how that worked. Uh, maybe I just had read something that you had written at that time. I guess you would have been at Media Matters probably back then. Yeah, but, I was uh, I was yeah. shooting out a lot of tweets back then. So even more than now. So God knows <laughs> yeah. what it was. When I think at that time already, you know, like I said, I had just started and I think you were already, um, you know, up into the tens of thousands of, of followers. So you were kind of like a leading voice 
on the left on Twitter at that time. And um, so I feel like I've known you forever, even though we've really only talked twice. I did a Q&A with Oliver for public notice, my newsletter about a year ago now, almost exactly as it turns out. And um, we're talking today. We've we've obviously DM'd a bit over the years and things like that. But um, sure. it's great to have you on the show. So thanks for making some time to do it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, and I should probably also mention up top that uh, Oliver does a substack called Oliver Willis Explains, um, which I find to be a really useful resource for kind of the straight talk that he provides to Dems about political messaging, kind of breakdowns of the media, uh, what's going on in cable news and elsewhere. And um, also, you know, he had an interesting piece just to, to mention one specifically on um, beer being transgender now uh, with the whole Dylan Mulvaney controversy and kind of breaking down that really it's about money. It's not really about Anheuser-Busch or any other company going woke. Um, it's all about kind of the dollars and cents. And so, you know, if you're into that sort of uh, insightful political commentary, definitely check out Oliver Willis Explains. And Oliver is also a senior writer at the American Independent. Uh, what do they have you covering there? It seems like you cover a little bit of everything. Yeah, I mean, I mostly cover Biden and Biden related stuff. I'm on the Biden beat. So, you know, not a lot of news, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I basically cover Biden and, you know, a little bit of everything else. Some Sometimes some media coverage, some things, some stuff in Congress. But I'm mostly focused on Biden and everything directly related to the Biden administration. So it's kind of a pretty broad portfolio I've got. Yeah. So I would I would imagine that's a lot of coverage of like Biden wins and like good stuff that he's doing. Or is it more kind of looking at, you know, holding up a mirror to some of the coverage of him? Um, like what specifically, what kind of, what, when you say you're on the Biden beat, what does that mean at the American Independent? I mean, a lot of it is mostly covering the things that the administration is doing that they're not really great, in my opinion, at explaining to an audience in general, like what they're actually doing and what a big deal it is. Like there's a lot of these policies that they've put in place over the last two years that like agencies like EPA and you know, doing a lot of green energy stuff and a lot of stuff on environmental justice and a lot of stuff on, you know, uh, uh, just reforms that he's put in place since he's been in, in the presidency that I think sometimes gets lost in the sort of wonkish weeds. And even, you know, they get in their own heads about this stuff in the administration a lot of the time. So what I try to do is try and translate, like, what does all this stuff actually mean for regular everyday people and you know in a very clear way that maybe you don't see in the mainstream media that you will get from a progressive you know media outlet like the independent to just mm -hmm. sort of say like hey this is a big deal this is important this is you know this is a change from how things have been done in the past under both you know directly comparing to trump but also comparing to you know past democratic presidencies of of all you know types yeah, that's sort of what I, what I cover with that. So it's sort of a wide, wide variety of things. And and also his interactions with Congress, which especially lately have been pretty explosive. And, you know, mm -hmm. he's kind of been getting some wins there. So those are good to highlight as well. Yeah. Yeah, because I do think that Biden has a bit of a struggle. And, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this with getting earned media. Like, I don't see a lot of you know, he, he does a lot of speeches these days and he has you know, leading into the midterm elections and kind of beyond that. But he kind of delivers the same speech over and over. And, you know, he he does have a couple bits like the one where um he would read from Rick, Rick Scott's plan yeah. to basically cut um the social safety net. And those would always make for kind of good viral moments. You know, someone who watched a lot of these uh, speeches that he would do, but he doesn't really go on TV very much for interviews. Um, you know, we can all think back on how Trump, you know, day in and day out, every every single event that Trump would do would have some sort of, um, outrageous thing happening that right. would get a lot of coverage. And, you know, maybe that's not necessarily the type of earned media that you want, but I do think that 
Biden and the Biden administration, they do have a little bit of trouble kind of breaking through and getting positive coverage for what they're doing, either because in some instances it's too wonky or they're just not really putting themselves out there. Uh, curious for your thoughts on that. Do you, do you agree yeah. with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with it to, to a certain point. Like I, I, part of the you know quote unquote problem is that he's so normal, right? Like we went through four years of a, an extremely abnormal and absurdist presidency. And so now Biden comes into office and Biden does not have the sort of ability that, you know, President Obama did, which is the sort of more dynamic media personality. Biden is sort of a lunch pail kind of guy. And that kind of comes through in his presidency. And sometimes I feel that that ends up with, you know, sort of a more wonkish approach to these sort of things. And and they don't think that sometimes these issues warrant major media coverage. And But they're actually a big deal and they need to get covered. And so, yeah, they don't know how to make them media, media worthy. Yeah, because I mean, my, my newsletter today was largely about, oh, and there's uh, Cal making a <laughs> cameo appearance. Cal, do you have any thoughts on uh, Biden's messaging? <laughs> not enough treats. Not right? enough. Oh, OK, not enough treats to, to share them with us. But um, no, I mean, my, my newsletter today was largely about uh, Biden's polling. And, you know, it, it's kind of a complicated topic because objectively his polling right now is really bad. Um, you know, it's compared to other presidents in the modern era, it's even worse than Trump's was at a comparable time in 2019, you know, basically heading into the third year of his administration. And, um, you know, on one hand, that isn't the end of the world because Biden's polling is still better than Trump's is right now. He's right there with DeSantis. So when you do kind of the realistic matchup of someone that he's going to have to beat in the presidential election, he's doing fine. I mean, you can also look back on the midterms last year. Biden's polling was pretty bad heading into that. But when Republicans are out there, um, you know, trying to ban abortion and trying to cut the safety net, take away health care, um, you know, as Biden likes to say, elections are not a comparison with the almighty. You know, it's a choice with one other person. And so right. um, you can look at it through that lens. But I also think, you know, the type of coverage that you do, um, which, you know, in some ways should be an extension of stuff that the White House should be trying to do, get it out there, how they're helping people, what they're doing in terms of policy. Um, you know, I think that that would help um, if if the White House is a little bit better at marketing itself and kind of yeah. getting the word out there about what Biden is doing. Yeah, it's 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 this matter of, you know, how do you translate these things in sort of a media atmosphere that is not looking for these sort of things? You know, they're, they're not looking for the sort of wonky things. They're looking for the spectacular and the exciting. And like sometimes, you know, things like repairing thousands of bridges across the country is not spectacular and exciting. Installing, you know, uh, uh, electric car system, you know, charging system across the entire interstate highway system is a gigantic monumental achievement. And it's, I think it's going to be strangely one of the giant legacies of the Biden administration. But how do you make that work for someone in their day to day lives that it's not they're not directly affecting them, you know, other than when they drive up to a charging station in their electric car, which most people don't have yet, which is another thing that like the administration is, you know, passed tax credits so that people are more likely to buy electric cars. And so yeah. it's like, how do you connect these dots for people and also break through the media, you know, interest in, you know, bread and circuses at the same time that's, you know, attracted to things like Donald Trump and even, you know, stuff within the Democratic Party, like you have people like, you know, AOC on the Democratic side, like, it, it's a really hard thing to break through. But on the flip side of it, even though Biden's numbers may not be great, like one of the virtues and one of the reasons he is president is because he is sort of normal and quote unquote, not exciting like that. I think the last election showed us that, yes, there there, there was an interest in 2016 ish for, you know, Trump sort of shaking things up, quote unquote. 
But there's also a very real, almost silent majority, as they would speak about, that is interested in just having a normal guy that you don't pay attention to every day that is not the lead story in the news. Like a lot of people sort of like the idea that the first story every day when they pull up the news is probably some celebrity nonsense and not what the president tweeted last night, you know, about the 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 Met Gala, you know, for instance, yeah. like this past week. Like, like, you know, we just we just went through the, the this big celebrity event and we have the Writers Guild strike right now. We both know that like those are issues that Trump would not be able to shut up his mouth about, oh, right? Yeah. And Biden is not going to talk about it unless maybe at the correspondence dinner he'll do a little throwaway joke, but it's not going to be the central focus of his day because he's not sitting there watching television all day like you and I, you know, right. that, are, that are monitoring this for for a living. He's not doing that because he's busy running the country. And I feel like that doesn't show up in polling a lot of the times, but I feel that actually the results of both recent elections kind of show that the people that support that, you know, worldview tend, are actually the majority of voters. And, you know, luckily in the 2020 election, that was a majority of the voters in the states that, you know, won the Electoral College is voters that they don't want the president to be an omnipresent celebrity in their life. You know, maybe yeah. if he's like a Barack Obama, but they definitely don't want a Trumpish version of this. And right. so that that is Trump. But that is Biden's biggest strength is contrasting himself with do you want the crazy show over here or do you want the, you know, the boring grandpa who is, you know, giving you, you know, an electric charger? Like, yeah, I think most people are going to say, yeah, I just want the electric charger and the president to leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's I think that doesn't show up in the numbers, but I think that is something that can show up on, you know, election day. And it showed up last year during the midterm. You know, you, you had a lot of these candidates that were basically Trump clones running around talking about, you know, you had Carrie Lake and characters like this talking about, you know, the election was stolen and rigged and, you know, attacking transgender kids and talking about QAnon conspiracies. And voters just sort of said, yeah, we want normal candidates. We want regular people representing us in the House and the Senate. You know, the, the closest thing you had to a weird Democratic candidate was John Fetterman, who basically was like, yeah, I like all this normal, regular stuff. I just have to be a really tall, big guy. But I, I like all the regular stuff you do. And I don't want to be Dr. Oz, which is another weirdo that they picked to run against him. And so yeah. I think there's this, this um, not quite silent majority, but there's a majority for normalcy that is very much in you know Biden's favor coming up in the next election. And I think for, for the long term, actually, for Democrats. Sorry yeah. about that. Well, let's let's hope so, because we know what the alternative is. And speaking of uh, bread and circuses and crazy shows, um, I wanted to pick your brain on the big media news of the week, which is the announcement that CNN has made that they are next week hosting Trump for a town hall uh, and not just a town hall in New Hampshire, but one with Republican primary voters. And so you can kind of imagine how this is going to go. I mean, New Hampshire in the uh, U.S. Senate race. Last year, uh, Republican primary voters nominated Don Bolduc, who was an election denier. And so um, the Republican Party there is very Trumpy. Um, and so I, you know, I'm assuming that the questions, to the extent that they are a representative sample of the New Hampshire Republican primary electorate, are going to be pretty far out there. Um, Caitlin Collins, who you know is a former Daily Caller writer, although you know I think she's kind of distanced herself from that. She did some good work covering the Trump White House for CNN. Um, So I at least want to give her that much credit that, you know, I don't think that at this point she's really, you know, like a Tucker Carlson clone or like a a right winger. And in in a sense that, you know, you'd see on Fox News or Newsmax or something like that. But 
I guess the, the question I want to ask you is, were you at all surprised by this announcement? I was a little bit, full disclosure. And secondly, what are you expecting from this event? Yeah, I mean, I think part of the problem is that my 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 bar for CNN and most of the mainstream media is so low that like I'm not I was not surprised by this announcement. And and this has been, you know, to me, this has been sort of a move by CNN in the last, you know, year or two years under the new management of, you know, I've been saying it over and over again, you've seen me say this, that they seem to be going towards a Fox light, you know, audience. Like they're 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 almost trying to get the Fox News audience by offering sort of a watered down version. Like they're not going to go as hardcore as Fox News does, but they're sort of, in my mind, destroying the existing whatever is left. To be honest, of the existing CNN brand by pursuing this conservative, you know, the sort of more respectable conservative audience. But at the same time, we all know that like the mainstream Republican conservative, you know, argument is Donald Trump. So you have to go Trumpy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so them choosing to host him for this town hall is kind of CNN returning to form like CNN. You go back to 2015, 2016. And yes, like, you know, Donald Trump's candidacy was built on a lot, a lot of Fox News themes, but he got there by getting a lot of free exposure from CNN and MSNBC. Let's be perfectly honest about it. Like those networks were not out there you know, fully rebutting Donald Trump when he was talking about, you know, banning Muslim travel to the United States. And he was talking about, you know, grab them by this and, and all the other things, you know, and all the, all the gross, disgusting stuff, you know, the birther stuff that he pushed for years and years about President Obama. Well, yeah, he pushed them on Fox News, but CNN and MSNBC had an open mic for him. Like one of the images that I all often reference is with the CNN graphic of them just you know, showing his open podium, waiting oh, yeah. for Trump to arrive. Like, and, and and I think that's so emblematic of the mainstream media's approach to Donald Trump over the last eight years now. It's just this, they're just waiting on Trump, waiting on Trump to, let's see what he does. Let's see what crazy stuff he does. And, and, and to be, you know, the other part of it is that the Trump act is kind of tired at this yeah. point. Like, I mean, Aaron, you, you followed his rallies, you know, just as much as I did. It's the same (laughs) material. There's nothing new. We're both wrestling fans. He needs to get a new gimmick. He's running a gimmick that he's been doing since 2015. There's nothing new. There's no new lines. There's so even if you want to look at it just from and we shouldn't run our politics this way, but if you want to just look at it from like a just a surface dumb politics point of view, that the show, the bread and circus is, it's the same old crap. So it's not even like they can say. You know, we're covering Trump because he's doing new and exciting stuff. It's the same. He's talking about instead of talking about crooked Hillary, he's talking about crooked Joe. It's it's yeah. boring. Right. So that's the other part of it. So looking at all this, CNN has decided instead of, you know, taking a more skeptical approach to the election like they should, because they should learn their lessons, because what we had was the, you know, the insurrection. We've had two impeachments. You know, Trump has been indicted for crimes like this is a criminal former president. You know, he's a major grifter with his dumb NFTs that he's selling for thousands of dollars. God knows where the money is actually coming from. Like, there's just a litany of things where you think CNN would be able to, they should, at least, if you look at what their stated mission is, take a more skeptical approach to these things and not host him for a town hall where, you know, I can almost... I can almost predict exactly what's going to happen. He'll he'll get upset and belligerent with the moderator and, you know, excuse me, excuse me, you're being very rude. You're being very rude. 
And so we kind of know what's coming and CNN is going for it anyways. And I, I don't think it's going to work out for them. I don't think it's going to work out for them journalistically. And I don't think in the long run, it's going to work out for them in the ratings. Like the ratings have not been great lately as they've sort of gone through their roster and gotten rid of, you know, some of the more, I guess, voicey, you know, opinionated in their point of view people. Yeah. It's not really worked out. And I don't think this is going to work out for them. And it's not good for democracy, more importantly. No. Like, it's not good to just sort of give him an open mic. Like giving him an open mic is what got us a lot of problems, like, you know, with COVID. You know, the, the COVID oh, yeah. response is but like that right. showed. I think that was one of the greatest examples, unfortunately, of why people would want a boring, normal president. Like a boring, normal president yeah. isn't going to argue with the head of CDC during a major pandemic on TV and talk about, you know, injecting yourself with with <laughs> with <poison>. disinfectant. And, <laughs> and disinfectant. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, these things aren't going to happen like. You know, I, I'm a progressive, but you look at even other Republican presidents in the past, people that I dis, dislike, like George W. Bush and Ronald Reagan, you, you weren't going to see them behave like that during the pandemic. I'm sorry, you just wouldn't. Like, Bush would be dumb, but he wouldn't argue with the head of the CDC. But Trump is this figure that the media loves. And yeah, when I, I think there's still, you know, the, the equation that that Chris Licht is running with here is that Trump equals ratings. And right. um you know, there, there might be something to that when you look at CNN's ratings from the Trump era to now. I mean, they've been on a precipitous decline. They are solidly in third place. Um, so I guess I'll be curious to see that component of it. But you, know, you bring up the good point with the the Trump pandemic briefings. And, you know, if you recall, um, Trump was so full of BS during those briefings that I think it was MSNBC who kind of pioneered the live fact checking yeah. genre where they, you know, they have kind of live fact checks of stuff Trump was saying as he was saying it or like moments after. And so. I'm curious if CNN will attempt something like that, because that's obviously one of the problems with giving Trump an open mic is that he's going to lie and lie and lie. And, you know, will Caitlin Collins be up to the task of preventing that from happening, of fact checking him? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, um, and, that's, yeah. and that's one of the issues with the with the press, the way that they you know sort of approach these things. And Trump understands this, too. He knows that a real time fact check of him is hard to do. And when you try to do it, he plays off that like he he you know his years working within WWE wrestling he knows that creating the friction and creating this moment is what he wants and his audience wants him to fight that's the other part yeah. of it his audience wants a fight you know they want the stone cold versus you know Vince McMahon you know thing to, to occur they want him to yell at Caitlin Collins because that's why they voted for him in the first place we saw this you know that recent CBS poll where you know what is what are the one of the number one things that they like about Repu Republicans like want their candidates to do is to own the libs and in their worldview no one owns the libs better than Donald Trump and they include yeah. you know fighting with CNN and the rest of the media as part of owning the libs so this is just a like this helps him a social this is a social proof for him going forward where he can do these things and they're gonna like it and eat it up yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, the thing that really strikes me is that I can't remember any time in my, you know, I think it's I'm coming up on like six years now, of basically immersive cable coverage as part of my beat. And I don't think I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, you know, I don't think Trump has ever done any sort of exclusive event with CNN or an interview no. at any point. And, you know, you can go back like you mentioned. Um, and I remember this was actually something that when I was at Think Progress in 2016, we were kind of on the forefront of covering this where both MSNBC and CNN would do live shots of Trump's empty podium ahead of his speeches instead of covering, in some instances, concurrent Hillary Clinton speeches. Like she'd be yeah. doing a major policy speech and they would be doing a live shot of Trump's empty podium. And that became kind of like this meme over time of how bad the coverage was. 
and 2016. But even then, it's not like CNN was having Trump on to do town halls or to do interviews. Granted, Trump at that time was calling in a lot to Morning Joe and MSNBC. So it's not like he wasn't. It's like there was some sort of media blackout on non-Fox networks. But, you know, this to me is almost like worse in some ways than some of the 2016 stuff, because they're actually doing like an exclusive event, which when you look at some of the promo spots that they're doing for this, when you look at how anchors are talking about it on air, I mean, it it does definitely give the impression that it's going to be rather puffy and that Trump is going to be treated like a front front runner rather than a guy who less than three years ago attempted a coup. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 sort of a, it, it, they give off a whiff of desperation from CNN yeah. because you you know you want to think that like you know CNN you're better than this you don't need to be panting after Donald Trump and you know as we said like not even hot and sexy Donald Trump from 2015 but old and busted Donald Trump you know after losing after losing the midterms and after losing to Biden like you're you're getting the loser Don version of him and you're still panting after him at this point and so it just it just makes CNN in my opinion look very you know desperate and needy and it's 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 this thing is like i don't even think it's gonna work that's the other part of it like i, I can maybe understand it if this sort of stunt you know almost like it's because i guess it is a tv show and you have to look at it as like stunt casting and it's like having this long-running tv show and you're bringing on this character and it's like the trump's gonna really shake up the cast on the show you know the, the soap opera that is our lives now like Trump is the evil villain from season one and you're bringing him back yeah. for season six of the show. And everyone is sort of like, but I've seen him. He's boring. He lost. He lost to Sleepy Joe. Like, like you're bringing on that guy. Like, what is he going to talk about? The birth certificate again? Yeah. Like, it, it just it's and CNN going for that is just, you know, it, I, I think it, it makes CNN look to me. It makes CNN look way worse than Trump. Trump is just yeah. going to be Trump. Trump always Trump. Trump is a constant. Yeah. And CNN. Right should be you know a lot of progressives sometimes say cnn you're better than that and i think the years have shown us unfortunately cnn is not better than that cnn is just as needy and panting after the trump bump as you know as they were in the past but i don't think the trump bump exists or and it won't exist for a long term it's not a long term it long term damages their brand like cnn for you know better or worse for years and years stood for you know within the very low bar of cable news stood for okay you have the you know, I think this is a bad characterization, but you have the left-wing partisans on MSNBC, you have the right-wing partisans on on Fox, CNN, we're going to be the sort of AP New York Times of cable news and give it to you straight. And they've strayed from that a lot, really, you know, basically since the founding, since Ted Turner started the network. But I think they really declined in the last few years towards that. Well, Trump like this doesn't help. Yeah. But that was kind of the, the magic of Trump from the standpoint of these cable networks when he was president was that you could kind of combine the straight news with the sensational because the news was pretty sensational. I mean, you go back to him firing Comey during the active investigation um, of his campaign or like, you know, the Mueller hearings, all that stuff. I mean, it it kind of combined those two things in a way that really juiced ratings. Um, And now, you know, the news is more boring. And, you know, I think we got a good illustration of that on the day that Trump was indicted um, with the way that that was covered, where it was like, you know, they had a helicopter covering his motorcade as it went through uh, Palm Beach, you know, down in Florida where you're at. Um, You know, they had they had a helicopter on there covering that. And then not only that, but they had like a live shot of his plane taking off. I mean, it was everything but having like a satellite, you know, do like a live shot of his plane from space (laughs) or something. And, you know, it really wasn't that interesting. He was traveling, you know, to be processed. And sure, that was unprecedented. And there was some intrigue that, 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 you know, it never happened before. So I, I get the interest on some level, but 
the way that that was covered, like it was the you know like a, a Mars landing or something. Elder, you know, elderly it, man takes plane flight was literally covered like Neil Armstrong <laughs> landing on the moon. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable, and I mean that kind of caught me off guard because. Um, you know, it's just such a change from what I'm used to in the Biden era, you know, other than on Fox, which, you know, but even Fox, I mean, you know, for all of the the reporting about them having a rift with Trump and that they certainly have promoted DeSantis pretty heavily over the past couple of years. Um, you know, I think CNN's coverage of that even kind of went beyond what Fox was doing or at least kind of matched it. So, um, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and the thing is, I think Fox understands like Fox, I, you know, I think it's overstating when people think that Fox is abandoning Trump. But at the same time, Fox understands probably more so than CNN and MSNBC that the audience wants, you know, for better or worse, wants new meat, wants new blood. And that's why you see them pumping up people like DeSantis. You see them going after these, you know, the, the other Republican candidates that are running for, for you know, quote unquote, running for president. Yeah. Like they understand that to feed this storyline, people want new stuff and new, you know, new entertainment. And even for their micro target of the, the conservative audience, they also want new stuff. They understand they want new storylines. And, you know, Fox is unfortunately great at generating nonsense out of reality and going to the old, you know, the Trump well, like, yes, they do that, but they don't do that nearly as much as you would think they would considering what their audience, like their audience. Yes, they love Trump, but they also want new and exciting storylines and CNN and Fox is really not pandering to that yeah. in the way that CNN is like, it, it's almost like you look at, I, I don't want to say CNN should be emulating Fox, but just from a sort of, are you in this for ratings and spectacle, which they shouldn't be, but okay, that's what they, they're doing. Like, see, like Fox is not doing that. Fox is like, here's all this other crazy stuff, this other, these other crazy, horrible, hateful, racist storylines that we're going after. And we're not necessarily constantly milking this Trump train yeah. the way that, you know, you know, they did in 2015, 2016 yeah. and 2017. Oh, you, you make a good point. It's, you know, it's like, it's like the 2000 version of uh, Hulk Hogan, the heel NWO, where it's, you know, we, we desperately need either a, a baby face turn, which with Trump is never going to happen. So we need we need new characters. And so, yeah, Fox has Vivek on there who, you know, I don't think he really has the juice either. Yeah. And I don't think the same, you know, that that's kind of the problem. None of these other alternatives really have the juice, which is why, you know, I mean, I guess whatever whatever juice Trump has left probably isn't worth the squeeze. But, you know, it's better than nothing, I suppose. Right. To, to, to take the wrestling analogy, you know, and as you, you and I both love it, but they really need, you know, they need the rock. They need Stone Cold. They need someone to like, you know, they need the John Cena. They need someone that's going to take this, the mantle into the next generation. And instead you have, you know, Trump running the same old act and he's not changing his act at all. And then on the flip side, you have, you know, Biden, Biden's gimmick for better or worse is boring Biden. And yeah. people like boring. Well, dark Biden. Brandon, there's dark yeah, Brandon. There's dark Brandon, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like Finn Balor with the demon mask. You know, it's uh, it's like the, right. the, old, the old ego. Yeah. That's the other interesting thing about the dark Brandon thing. Dark Brandon went from being, you know, this, you know, let's go Brandon, you know, chant against uh, Biden, you know, a year and a half ago to just recently at the correspondence dinner, he puts on the glasses and he talks about dark Brandon and talk about adopting the gimmick from the audience. This is, yeah. that's, one of the, that's one of the strangest things I've seen actually from a Democrat in a positive way of li actually listening to audience feedback and actually adopting it instead of doing the usual democratic thing that, you know, I've seen way too many times over the last 20, 25 years of you know, no, we have to be the serious and sober party. We, we, you know, people look to, and yes, people do look to Democrats for the, the serious side of things, but 
you know, you can have fun with it as well. That gets people engaged. People love Dark Brandon. Like for once you have this sort of, you know, quote unquote, dark character advocating for really popular progressive you know, stuff that people like, like people like funding military veterans, people like saving social security, people like defending democracy. Like the fact that, you know, Biden can go out there with the the red background from the speeches last year and give the (laughs) thunder speech in defense of democracy and Fox News portrayed him as the bad guy. And we, we saw this in the election results last year. Voters saw that as the good guy. People came out and defended democracy and they were rallied in part by the president saying, screw you, don't mess with our elections. Don't say that, you know, you want to steal elections and and attack the Capitol. We've seen this with, you know, Biden is embracing this again with his reelection message, like his his video launching his reelection bid literally said democracy is at stake. And he showed footage of January 6th. And this is sort of embracing the quote unquote dark Brandon persona is like this this heel for, you know, not a heel, but like this edgy character in favor of democracy and goodness and defending abortion rights and attacking, you know, and defending uh, LGBTQ equality. Like people want that. People want to rally to that. That's sort of, the, I feel like that's almost like the democratic mirror image of this sort of nasty Trump, you know, bigoted attacks on the world. Like you want the guy on your side, the good guy character doing things in a very dynamic and exciting way. Like it doesn't have to be just, yes, there's, it's important to have, you know, policy under, you know, undercutting everything, you know, you don't want to go out there half-assed, but at the same time, if you can make it catchy and punchy, go for it. Yeah. Well, what do you think just briefly? Cause I do want to get to a couple other things too, but what do you think then with all of that accounts for the fact that Biden's approval ratings have been kind of stubbornly low? Um, is it more, kind of macro factors. I mean, obviously, inflation has been a big problem. It's it's easing a little bit. But I think, you know, economically, over the past couple of years, people have been feeling a pinch and the president gets blamed for that. Um, you know, there's also one one argument that Noah Berlatsky made in my newsletter today that I thought was kind of interesting is that, you know, there, there might be kind of a conflation of, you know, some of the bad stuff that's happening, you know, even in Florida, where you're at on the state level with Republican legislatures, you know, attacking people's rights. Um, that Biden takes some blame for that, you know, whether he should or not. Um, that's just kind of how people think about politics. But I mean, what, what do you think? Because, you know, I think back on January 2021, that was a pretty dark time. I think like 80,000 people that month in the United States died from COVID. Um, you know, the unemployment was like 6%. And so when you when you kind of do the, you know, the old Reagan thing of are you better off now than you were four years ago? I mean, I think it's pretty undeniable that the vast majority of Americans are. But for whatever reason, that doesn't really seem to be breaking through, at least in a way that goes beyond kind of the comparison with the Trumps and the DeSantis's who are inherently pretty unpopular beyond the Republican base. Um, so I, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that, because, you know, you look at some of these graphics that Fox likes to display where they're comparing, you know, even going back to Jimmy Carter. And um, at this point in Biden's presidency, his approval is, you know, a, a notch below any of these other modern era presidents. And so I'm just curious if you have any thoughts what, what accounts for that. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough nut to crack. I I think part of it is, you know, we sort of have to accept the new normal that very few presidents are going to be popular in the in the way that we've traditionally thought about it in the past with, you know, sustained popularity. Like, I I think that the, the last president like that was maybe, you know, Bill Clinton, because if you look at like the last few presidents, they all sort of take a pretty steady decline over their first term if, you know if they if they serve two terms if the first terms in office like you know people forget it now but i mean his numbers weren't as bad as biden's but obama's numbers were not great in 2012 and mm-hmm. you know george w bush famously if you look at his chart like 
9-11, it shot straight up. And then from 9-11 to the 2004 election, like it's a, you know, it, it's a direct slope going down. So I almost feel like we have to reorient ourselves around like what is a popular president in the 21st century compared to what it was in the 20th century. In the 20th century, I think we had a lot less just straight up partisanship. There are a lot of people right now that, you know, if you, I think if you polled them and asked them, are you better off now than you were four years ago? A lot of people would say, oh, yeah, absolutely, definitely. And then they say, but who are you going to vote for? And they'll say, not Joe Biden, and because it's just a matter of they've got a team. And even if their situation is better off, they're not going to give credit to the other team for that. And I think, you know, it, it goes both ways. Like you could have improvement under a Republican president. And I think a lot of Democrats wouldn't give the other party you know, credit for them, to, enough credit for them to get over 50%. And we saw that with Trump. Trump never sure. got above, you know, in the aggregate, over 50% for his entire presidency. At the very least, Biden started off that way. Like yeah. Biden and Obama both started off with this sort of optimistic over 50% presidency. Whereas like, you know, Trump never had that. He never had that grace period because voters, he came in under a cloud of suspicion in a way right. that not even George W. Bush, who also, you know, first won the presidency by only through the Electoral College and losing the popular vote. Even Bush had that sort of grace period back in, in you know, in 2001. But yeah. Trump never had it. Biden had it for a little bit, but it's petered out over time. And I feel like this almost like the new normal now of the, you know, it, it's a cliche. And, and a lot of things, it's not 50, it's not 50, 50 when it comes to issues. But I think when it comes to parties and personalities, there is a real strong 50, 50 divide among these things. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's kind of an amazing thing with our politics is that when you look at it from an issue standpoint, um, Republicans are on the wrong side of just about every issue. I mean, maybe there's some economic ones that you could tease out. I guess low taxes, obviously, is broadly pretty popularly if to kind of unpack what you mean by low taxes. Um, but, it, you know, they end up trying to win on kind of these these edge culture war things. And and maybe that's even becoming a little more fraught now with, you know, the Dobbs decision and reproductive rights. You know, it's, it's one thing rhetorically be uh, anti-abortion, but when the rubber kind of meets the road and people are getting the rights taken away, um, I think we're seeing problem. that. Yeah, right. So, but it is kind of that's an amazing dynamic in American politics, where you know you think politics is is at least in large part about issues, and on issues, Republicans seem to be on the unpopular side of just about all of them. And yet, you know, we're looking at the House of Representatives right now, and you know, we have this debt ceiling hostage situation because Republicans have a majority there. And you know, granted, the midterms when you put it his, in a historical context with the president's party, you know, first term president, Democrats overperformed. But, you know, the fact of the matter is still that Republicans won the House and that leads to a lot of problems that we're living through right now. But um, I did want to pivot to your latest uh, Oliver Willis Explains piece that you did, because um, I posted a little excerpt from it on Twitter last night that like really blew up. I mean, it has like thousands of retweets and for good reason, because um the lead to your piece is really compelling. So I'm just going to read a, a couple sentences here. Um, the, the headline of the piece is the media hid Donald Trump's physical attack on a reporter for 37 days. So great headline right away. But uh, here's the lead of the piece. Oliver writes, imagine this following scenario. President Biden is upset after a speaking event and a reporter asks him a question. Perturbed by the question, Biden grabs a reporter's phone that they're recording on and throws it aside. Now imagine that such an event occurred in full view of multiple reporters and that instead of breaking into the 24 hour news cycle to report it, the journalist sat on the story for 37 days. This actually happened, but it didn't happen with Joe Biden. It happened with Donald Trump. The decision to suppress this event says a lot about the mainstream media and it isn't anything good, end quote. And so you go on to talk about how this um, embodies the symbiotic relationship that reporters have with Trump and 
just want you to unpack that a little bit. In what sense do you think that this, you know, represents kind of the the toxic relationship going on there? Yeah, I mean, this is sort of related to what we talked about with CNN, but and and I don't have a conspiratorial point of view on this. That's that's the part that I I want to make you know really clear. Like I and don't actually think... let me interject too because I, yeah. I should I should take a step back and actually explain for people who maybe are not familiar with the story what happened here. Uh, just yeah. very briefly, Bonnie Hilliard, who is an NBC reporter, was on Trump's plane. Um, this was after a speech that Trump gave. There are a number of reporters on the plane. Um, Hilliard was trying to ask Trump about his legal problems, basically, and Trump got angry. Um, basically demanded that he get away from him, that Hillier get away from him, and at a certain point grabbed his phones and kind of tossed them. There's an audio recording of this. Um, I haven't actually heard the recording. I don't think it's out there, but um, it's been referenced in news reporting. Uh, but this event, you know, as the headline kind of suggests, happened. You know, uh, there, there are 37 days that, that elapsed between when it happened and when news of this was broken. So anyway, that that gets you up to speed. Right. Yeah. And, and so the and the question is like. You know, why is this story been I, I mean, I, I hate to say, but why has it been suppressed? Like, why did it why was it not an immediate breaking news story? Like this is to me, this is major news for a candidate to do this sort of thing. And that's why I sort of characterize it as, you know, how would it be covered if Biden did it? But, you know, to be perfectly honest, like how would it have been covered if Mitt Romney did it or 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 Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or, you know, John McCain? Like, I don't I don't think, you know, in my opinion, I don't think that this story would have stood around for so long under those people but the thing with trump and the way that the press operates is that i feel like the press has this habit of sanding off the edges around donald trump and they do this for him different than they've done for any other candidate that i've ever seen in the time that i've been writing about politics like just to be perfectly blunt like he gets the kid glove treatment in a way that nobody else seems to get and 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 it's strange for such an extreme absurd out there character and you have to look at like what is the relationship between you know this treatment of trump and what it means for a lot of the reporters that follow him like a lot of reporters have built their careers both within media organizations and you know for personal financial gain on donald trump and having quote-unquote scoops about donald trump you know a lot of these reporters they're, they're on the Trump beat. You know, you have people like Maggie Haberman, who's basically built herself at the New York Times into, you know, one of the leading political reporters of our generation based on her inside sources, you know, about Donald Trump and, and breathless reporting about, you know, the infighting and the, the drama and the different characters involved in both Trump's campaigns and in the White House. And you have the same sort of thing where, you know, you have Jonathan Carl, a reporter at ABC News, at this point, I think he's written three different books about Donald Trump. And so you have to look at like, there is a financial incentive for a lot of these people, financial and personal prestige within the industry of keeping Trump around and of sanding off these edges and of keeping these stories, you know, uh, until you can write them up in a book for, you know, and I don't know that there's necessarily doing that with this incident, but it fills a pattern, in my opinion, of keeping these things on the down low. And then you know, six months from now, oh, a book will come out and, oh, this amazing, you know, episode happens and, gee, check it out. You can only find out the details about it in my book. I mean, this incident, specific incident was witnessed by multiple reporters from multiple media organizations. You know, you had people from like the Associated Press, apparently, Daily Mail, you know, and and the NBC reporter who was the main focus of it. And yet none of them, that's the part that's really amazing to me. None of them reported on this until the Vanity Fair piece was the first story about it. 
And there's actual, apparently, audio corroboration. And the Washington Post, I think just yesterday, said they heard the audio, which has still not come out yet. That's yeah. that's sort of amazing. Like, this is the media guy, right? Like, Trump is the media guy. We have endless clips of him, hundreds and thousands of clips of <laughs> audio and video of him doing God knows what for, not even just as president, but for the last 40 years of American life. Yeah. And yet somehow this audio of him yelling at a reporter, which is something that he's done, again, multiple times, but this one hasn't come out yet. Like, it, it, it all strikes me as very strange. And it strikes me as, again, not that I think that these reporters are like closet Republicans and that they, you know, they want conservative, you know, ideals to succeed. But at the same time, there is a an incentive built into the system of, you know, career advancement for them. They, you know, they become White House correspondents. They become, you know, senior reporters for these organizations or, you know, personal, you know, they, they get book deals and these book deals are very lucrative. Like sometimes people underplay, like, you know, how much are they getting paid for these book deals? Well, these book deals are for six figures for a lot of these people. Like these, these book deals, you know, they're, they're in like, you know, there may not be John Grisham, Barack Obama territory, but they're really up there. Like they're, they're oh, yeah. really nice deals to have. And so you have to examine like how, how do they behave towards him in light of the fact that there is a very real incentive for them to protect him and to coddle him over, over the last few years. And and I do want to give Hilliard a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, because this could this could easily be a situation where possibly he wanted to write something about it and editors weren't into it. Sure, or, you know, know. That, that, yeah. And he hasn't commented when he's been asked in recent days since this Vanity Fair report detailing this incident came out. So I don't want to totally throw him under the bus. Um, we don't know the full dynamics there. NBC has kind of had a fraught relationship over the years with Trump. Um, who obviously, you know, The Apprentice was on NBC. Um, so I don't, I don't know the full details there, but I, I think you're, you know, it's it's not only that, you know, it'd be one thing if Trump had merely yelled at him. I mean, that would be, I guess, kind of bad, but that's pretty on brand. Right. But, you know, I, there's kind of the added, you know, this is, I guess, the world we live in now where if you grab someone's phone, um, you know, I mean, there is, you know, it's, it's kind of destruction of property or, you know, assault, I guess, in, in a way. Um, it's an escalation. So, it's yeah, it's an escalation. It's an escalation. Yeah. And it's an, an unusual behavior within the world of politics and just celebrity in general. Like, you know, we've, we've seen this with the, you see the paparazzi all the time, right? Like, I, I mean, you, you probably would, people would probably cheer for a lot of the paparazzi, you know, if Kim Kardashian grabbed some guy's camera when he was getting a sort of invasive moment, you know, covering her, people would probably rally to her, but it would still be news. And, and, yeah. at, you know, that paparazzo who, who took the video of Kim grabbing his camera, we'd see it on TMZ within minutes, right? That's yeah. the, the, Well, and this is also, this is different than that because these, these reporters were invited on the plane. I mean, it's not like right. they were accosting him when he was out at dinner or something. I mean, you know, the, the whole point was to have these reporters on the plane to cover the event, to ask him questions. And so, we, you know, and it was, a by all accounts, it was a legitimate line of questioning asking about the, you know, Absolutely. I think this, I think this incident occurred just before his indictment, but Hilliard was basically asking him about the investigation and his thoughts on it. So, you know, it's not like he was asking him, some, you know, sorted family scandal no. or something like that. It was just, you know, I mean, although I guess the the whole Stormy Daniels thing kind of is a sorted family scandal. Right, but, but, it, uh, but, yeah. it's, but it's fair game. I mean, he is the yeah. leading Republican presidential candidate. He is a former president of the United States. In all likelihood, he's going to be the Republican nominee for president. Like, you know, ask Joe Biden about getting asked, you know, tough questions. That's part of the job. Like, suck yeah. it up. Right. Like, that's, you know, these are not, as you said, these were not crazy out of bound, you know, left wing conspiracy theories. This was acting, asking about an active, ongoing investigation from the district attorney into Trump's finances. Like, this is a real thing. Like, he has, he's had people around him, you know, already be sentenced to prison related to this specific charge. Like, it's a perfectly legit question. And, and, and also, 
you know, let's give, strangely enough, let's give Trump some, some leeway here. If Trump wanted to shut down the line of questioning or say that's out of bounds, that's fine too. Like he can do that. That's his prerogative. It's the point where he's grabbing this phone and there's audio of it and it didn't come out for 37 days. That's to me is the pivot point in this whole thing. Sure, sure. Uh, two parting questions and we got to get you out of here, but you're down in Florida, um, you know, boots on the ground in uh, DeSantis <laughs> land down there. Yeah. Do you think very quick, very briefly, do you think DeSantis is done? Does he have a chance of winning the nomination? I mean, I, I almost don't want to join the pack of people. Like I have this natural instinct of being afraid when everybody agrees going in one direction. And it's, it sort of stems from my experience during the Iraq war, but he kind of looks toasty right now. He yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't have the juice to to go up against Trump. He's really run away from fighting Trump. And then he's fighting Mickey Mouse at the same time. So he looks he looks terrible and weak. So, you know, I, I, I'm not saying don't stick a complete fork in him yet. But if if I were going to run for the Republican nomination, I'd much rather be Trump than than DeSantis anytime, anytime soon. OK, and then extending from that, how worried should liberals be about Trump winning next year? They should be extremely worried. Like, don't write him off. Don't assume just because Biden kicked his ass that he's not going to, you know, he can't win. Don't don't make the mistake that was made in 2016 of assuming that there's no way this can happen. Go into the entire election assuming that he can win, but go in with confidence and knowing that the issues are on the Democrat side. And that if they're really strong in presenting a case to people on these issues, like protecting the right to an abortion, protecting transgender kids, protecting social security if they're if they take an advanced position on these and don't go into the usual democratic you know defensive crouch he can be beaten and we know that trump can be beaten so it's not he's not invincible by any matter like hillary clinton beat him in the popular vote you know joe biden beat him in the popular vote electoral college he lost the midterms he's got the stink of loser on him but just don't think that he can't win again well, thank you very much, Oliver. Really appreciate your time. Great stuff. Um, yeah, we went a little bit longer than I expected, but that's all because it's uh, it's a joy to hear you talk about politics. So, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That does it for today's episode of the Aaron Rupar Show. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, and also follow me on YouTube to watch the footage of the show each week. You can find me there at the Aaron Rupar Show. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So be sure to check out your feeds each week for a new installment of the show. And thanks for listening.